Hello, welcome, welcome to JavaScript Jam Live. It is Wednesday, it must be, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or should we say Pacific Daylight Time? Yeah. Let's see here. I'm going to bring Anthony up, invite, what's up, bro, nifty, what up, dude? You can join us if you want to, I don't know, it's up to you. Hello. How are you doing, Anthony? I'm doing good. I was in vancouver last week that was fun mm, cool we will definitely find out what that's all about welcome to javascript jam live it is wednesday 12 p.m pacific daylight time this is when we do our thing this is where we talk about everything javascript and web development related here's ishan i'm gonna make him the co-host there we go sent the invite yeah today we're gonna be talking about some awesome stuff if you haven't seen our newsletter we will link it here shortly but you can go and check that out once i pin it and tweet it and pin it yes and i sent the co-host invite i don't know <laughs> the delay i swear it's so much fun is this one of the best things about this by the way last week's javascript jam has really taken off two days ago. I had a hundred people that listened to it and now it's over 900. Pretty cool. So that's a lot for two days <laughs> for us, at least not too bad. Things are yeah, coming. There we go. I'm finally up here. I think it, it cut out for me again, when it switches you to, to speaker. Uh, um, but it yeah. sounds like you were talking about the track last, week. last week's episode. That was, I think this week, will this is always going to be the best week, but last week was a really fascinating discussion on Heroku. So highly encourage folks to, to tune into that. And if I think the Twitter spaces disappear after what, about 30 days. Yeah. But if you're listening to that past that date, we are now cross posting those onto YouTube. If you go to our YouTube space, as well as if you just go to javascriptjam.com, we're posting them up there as well. So you can see them in perpetuity there. So it's another way you can access some of these great conversations we're having. Absolutely. That is exciting. And today we're going to have Ivan speaking with us as well about some pretty cool things too. So I'll go ahead and invite him up here just so we have him up here when we get rolling with that. But so yeah. If you're joining us, like I said, this is everything and everything about JavaScript and web development related. And we're about to really kick off today with some fun stuff. What's up? Yeah. Hey, I think Scott, you said this earlier where this is welcome to JavaScript Jam Live. It is basically an open mic for anything web development or JavaScript related. So we always like it when it's audience driven as much as possible. Feel free to, to raise your hand. I'm happy to bring almost anybody up to the stage to speak, change a topic or ask a question or contribute. And then as Scott mentioned, we usually send out in our newsletter, just some topics for discussion for the week. So I had three topics up there to talk about. And the first one I'm going to tell you about, so you can think about, which is it's fall. So that means conference season is really upon us. There's the next JS conference, there's the Jamstack conference, both are coming up in October and November. So I'm really curious what conferences folks are looking forward to and what predictions we have for what to expect from them. So I'll let you do that in the background as homework as we move to the other topic, which is why I invited Yvonne here, which is there was some news this week about other languages stealing JavaScript's crown. One of them, no surprise, was TypeScript. And we linked to that article that TypeScript is overtaking JavaScript, according to a CircleCI report. And then the other one was from Azure's CTO, 
basically saying that Rust should replace CC plus and all apps going forward. And Rust is gaining a lot of popularity in the JavaScript space as a source of, as an implementation language for tooling we depend on in the development ecosystem. So a lot of our tools start are now being implemented in Rust instead of being JavaScript native that we take for granted in our tooling. And so that we're hearing a lot about Rust and I invited one of my colleagues. Hello. Uh, who's had a lot of experience with Rust. For a, a JavaScript audience, Yvonne, I just want to, should, how should JavaScript developers view Rust? Should they learn Rust? Why or why not? And how does it compare? Let's okay, thanks. Let me just give you a little bit of background. So I come from strongly typed languages. So I did a lot of C plus for many years. And then I did yeah. Node.js for many years. And then starting last year, I also then did a significant project in Rust. So it's like, I've been around on both sides of this, of everything there. And I think that the answer is definitely yes. I feel like the, to, especially with tooling, seeing tooling in, in JavaScript community starting to depend on Rust, you do want to, you don't want to have that uh, access and understanding at least of the language of on which you're depending there. I wouldn't make the same argument for C++, like considering like Node and that it's written in C++. I wouldn't make the same argument. It's a more complex language. Plus it's more, many more foot guns in, the, in it, many decades of backward compatibility and including with C, et cetera. And I, but I would definitely say that Rust is a, it's a smaller language. It's a more, it's a more appropriate, I think that to, it's closer to thinking to JavaScript than, than other alternatives out there, non, non GC alternatives. And so definitely I would say that, yes, if you have bandwidth, if you're curious about it and you want to contribute to the tooling, then yes, definitely learn Rust, right? I would recommend that. Yeah. Maybe give some, I'll give some proof points for the listener, right? SWC, which is used in JavaScript tooling, even I believe parts of Babel and Webpack and ES build is written Correct. in Rust. Dino, yes. which is talked about it multiple times, is written in Rust. So you may not, it's, I remember this old commercial in the 80s or 90s for this company, BASF, and it was like, you don't know the products we create, but we make the products you use better. That's like for JavaScript developers, that's what it's like for us. It's like, you don't write in Rust, but everything you use actually has been made better by Rust. And there's a an article from... I think it was from someone, it was actually the dev at Vercel, and he said, the future of JavaScript infrastructure is Rust. So it's clearly picking up traction. Why do you think like Rust, uh, why do you think Rust has achieved this kind of penetration into JavaScript tooling? And the advantages of C++ make sense essentially to me, but why didn't people just keep running them in JavaScript? Why is mm. Rust getting well, traction? What's your... I feel like it's... I feel like the gap is not that large, right? Like when you consider like dynamic language and statical type language, and then you're like, usually these are, these are, there's a chasm there, right? There's a chasm there, right? It's like, you don't, I feel like the, even last year I've worked with multiple, literally people that have never written any code rather than JavaScript, any, and in any programming language except JavaScript. Mm -hmm. And we were able to make them quickly productive in Rust. I would struggle to, I would struggle to think that it would be as easy, even in other languages that are of the same sort of look, there is, I, there is, 
I don't know oversell it either. Like it's definitely a compiled language, right? Like you definitely need to get your types. Yeah. You definitely need to break some ways of thinking or adapt them. But at the same time, it does like to give an example, like it, it, it does a lot of type inference and actually depends on that. When you look at it, like the way it works, it's, it is very close to, it is very, it feels much less bulky than other alternatives. And there is, I would also say like the, one of the one of the great thing about Rust is that it really the compiler is really I would say this. I saw this tweet from one of the people that maintain Rust compiler, and they said we spent decades building smarter compilers or something like that, and we should have spent decades mm-hmm. building more empathic compilers, in the sense of okay, this is a human is using mm-hmm. this, so you know all our optimizations are great, but. If the human can't understand how to operate this tool, the compiler, well, or it's very harder, very much, much harder than it should be, then it's, then you, that's a, that's an obstacle to actually writing good code. And I feel like the Rust compiler, I think that I've never seen a, I've never seen a development or language or compiler, however you want to, whatever the tooling work more with the developer. I, when I write code in Rust. I literally have one on one side. In JavaScript, the flow would be run Nodemon, the running unit tests, and then on the other side, have the Visual Studio or whatever is your editor open. And then as you're writing, the tests are restarting, like whatever it is that you're using. And then the test mm-hmm. will show you as you're, as you're working, like what is breaking, what is not breaking, et cetera. And it is a very similar experience writing Rust. Except that the tests are replaced for the most part, not obviously entirely, but for the most part with the compilation. Because you rely on that compilation more, more than you would rely normally like in, uh, on, on unit tests. So that is one advantage. Another advantage I also feel is that unless you start dabbling in asynchronous programming in Rust, in the asynchronous in the sense of now you're launching threads and you're doing this and you're doing that. It is it is close to that single-threaded experience that, that you can just start with and that you have in JavaScript. So maybe that's also like part of the part of the attraction. It's, it's hard for me to to because I come from from the boat because I have a lot of experience in both sides of the it's hard for me to really grasp what would be just for the JavaScript, just for the JavaScript audience. But I can tell you that like we successfully, we, we literally, we were a team of mixer, but the only language that we all had under the belt was JavaScript. And we successfully started working very quickly and very successfully in Rust, right? Like people were just adapted to it. There is learning curve, but adapted it quickly. So how, yeah, for a JavaScript developer, and then I want to let people know, feel free to raise your hand and ask questions and jump in and we'll bring you up to the stage. But how long does it take for somebody from I mean, from a pure JavaScript web development background, do you think, to feel like they can be a little better than dangerous with Rust? What type of learning? So what I've developed? seen is like, it was, I would say, I would say probably like, I don't know, four to six weeks, right? And we were talking about intensive okay. four to six weeks, but... Maybe the biggest thing, like one comment that struck with me is, I remember a developer telling me like, they've never thought about memory before. And one of the things that mm-hmm. Rust does is that it, for the most part, you really don't have to think about memory, right? It does guide you in that sense much more differently. It guides you in the correct manner 
immediately rather than you learning the, the JavaScript, the good parts book. Yeah. So you could yeah. literally write the C++ the good parts book, right? Like, and I'm covering C++ as the other yeah. language. Yeah. You could extract and be like, all right, there is a much smaller <laughs> yeah. language inside there, which is much better and easier and safer to use. <laughs> That's trying to get at. And Rust is like that. Like when I started like reading and learning Rust, like I felt the lessons from C++ and other languages like that were taken to heart, right? It's, it really tries to guide you in the safety first, like just to take take the safety off. Anyways, I'm, but th that, I would say that that's, that, that's four to six weeks to answer your question. I would say that some people, okay. folks start to adapt. I won't oversell it. It's not a, it's a learning curve. There is a learning curve. Like you have to, but if you rely on the compiler, I feel I found that was the most useful thing for me, which don't just write code, see what the compiler is telling you as you're writing it, right? How it's, how it guides you. The messages are, the error messages are good. They point to usually point well to the to the place that that actually failed which is a huge problem in you know, compiled languages like you declared something somewhere else and then now after many lines it something else failed and the community is also good there's a lot of support out there there's a lot of good there are a lot of good like references there is like javascript for rust for javascript developers and stuff like that So you've mentioned this a few times, like a more empathic compiler. And let's just, I want to just underscore what you just described, which is like you commonly, you'll get an error from either compiler or even more so a runtime error. And it's where the problem failed, but not where the problem originated. And what you're describing is that Rust takes a, a really strong, sorry, uh, drop making the ergonomics, sorry, making the ergonomics so good that. It, it tells you where you actually made the mistake rather than where the program got confused. Is that probably the, the right way to say it? Yes. And it's, it not only does it point you to the mistake, it tries to guide you in the solution. It tries to tell you the big deal about the biggest stumbling block in learning Rust and thinking around Rust is the, you know, is the ownership of the, of the state, like of the variables, like where, yeah. where, where are yeah. you, like when you're borrowing or not borrowing it, that this whole thing, the borrow, borrow checker is the thing that actually makes it so safe and allows you to not, it, it allows you to reason more easily around the ownership of the, what you're changing, right? Which is a significant source of bugs, like the state of the changing state. This is why we have, you know, <clears throat> that's why we have, we have encapsulation and hiding state because we don't want everybody to be changing state. But when you think about it even further, not only that you don't want anybody to be changing state, you want change to be safe, even in a greater context of a larger program and change, right? And that's what Rust tries to solve. And then when you're like making mistakes in, in, in Rust, you see the compiler, or actually people that wrote the compiler going out of their way to try to help you and guide you in the correct use in what are the modules that you might be missing that are not included and really going deeper than anything I ever seen before. I remember in a normal, if you were ever worked with C++ templates, like you make a mistake in template, you're looking at 500 lines of, of error for a single comma that's missing somewhere. Like it's a very, it's a very cumbersome it's very hard thing to debug. Yeah, and I just want to underscore, you're saying it's not just that the community does this. It's actually embedded in the tooling. The it, tooling goes out of its way to, the to tooling, do that. The, when it gives you the error messages and things correct, like that, right? Like the That's tooling correct. itself, yeah. the basic tooling. So the developers, the compiler being part of the community, they work on this very 
it's it's a very important thing for them, which lowers the obstacles all the time, like lowers the obstacles to enter in, in to entry into the into Rust into Rust ecosystem and writing Rust. And it shows, right? It shows that they're thinking about humans using this tooling rather than just like tooling existing there to translate something X to Y, right? That I feel like that. That is, a, that is a core, one of the core community values there in, in Rust community. That I think is actually a good setup for my next question, which is going to be, what are the key pitfalls you've observed or the key concepts that somebody coming from a JavaScript background should make sure they nail? Or where have you seen common gaps and like hurdles learning Rust if somebody's coming from a JavaScript background? I would guess the, one of the things that are the mutability of a state by default, the Rust states are non-mutable. You just you don't just go and write stuff into different places. You have to make you have to explicitly want to change the state of something. And this sounds thing that raises obstacles, but it actually raises obstacles in the right place. It raises the obstacle of hey, think about you're not making a change. Reading is easy, right? We know from from con highly concurrent uh, systems like. As long as you make everything read only, you can, these are very simple systems to scale. It's the writing of the state, it's the change of the state, it's the mm. propagation of the state that's always tricky, right? Always tricky. In distributed system, is multi-threaded system, even in the single-threaded systems where you get the lost, uh, you lost the, lose the narrative, who changed what, right? If you're not careful about it, if you're not, if you're not hiding state, et cetera. So it's very explicit in Rust, but again, compiler will guide you and it will tell you like you're trying to make something, you're change something. And then the next step after that is once you have, you started changing something within a function, in the words, in, in the way Rust thinks about these things is you borrowed something and there can only be one writer at a time. Like it can be written by multiple Writer. So it's so then some of the methods that might be changing the state of what you borrowed may not be available to you. Like it will depend on the case, right? Or you can do a you for example a search over a map or a set that just really nilly. Like you have to get it right. And it I have to say like it is it is frustrating, but it's not. It's you form a muscle memory after a while. You form a muscle memory of where the, you know how to do this right so that the borrow checker is, which is this part of the compiler that figures out if you have the, if it's correct for you to write something somewhere, borrow checker will be, you'll be able to satisfy it. And I have to also say that they make it smarter every time, right? As they are releasing new versions of Rust, it's, it gets easier to write code. Borrow checker also gets smarter. So that is one thing. And then the other thing that is like on the language level. And then another thing that I would say on, on the more like on the design level of like when you're writing a program, and this is harder, but there are a lot of patterns that you naturally use in JavaScript that you can still continue using. It's just that they are now less optimal, right? They're, they're like, if you think about object and properties, et cetera, is there a better way to, to, to state than to put everything in a, in a ma map of string to string, right? And then we need to start thinking about types and thinking about types in advance is, it's, it, it's a skill, right? Like that you need to develop over time, but that there, there's no helping there. Like you just need to, you just need to do it. And then after a while it becomes, becomes more natural to think in types and anybody that's worked with, with, with TypeScript as well, it's like that, then that becomes easier. But that, I would say the change there is similar, except that there's in TypeScript, you always have an escape hatch, 
of scripting it, right? Like in, mm -hmm. in essence, right? Here, there are no escape catches, right? It's like, you really have to get it right. But it is- You're up against the wall. You you're up against the wall. Like, there's, there's nothing there, right? But I like, so when I recalling now, when I see programs written by JavaScript developers written in Rust, if they're like just coming to the language, you will see this. You will see the, like the JavaScript way of thinking and solving problems in there. And it, again, it's not incorrect. It's just suboptimal. But I feel like, again, humans before computers, right? It's, unless you're writing something that needs to be highly optimized, hey, you're fine. Like you'll figure it out this later in the next iteration or in the next program or whatever it is. But that that probably is the, that is the second sort of like lag of, but it's not tight necessarily to Rust, but rather to thinking in types and solving things differently than you would have, that you would have solved it in JavaScript. So I hadn't heard the quote you referenced earlier, but I think I found it from, I think it's Esteban Kuber or Kuber. He said, we spent decades trying to invent a sufficiently smart compiler. There. We should have yeah, been inventing a sufficiently empathetic one. It's on his Twitter profile and he has, a, a, he also has on his Twitter profile, there are no bad programmers, only insufficiently advanced compilers. That is funny. Yeah. yeah yes. That's, that, I, I, it stuck with me. It really did. Like it, it must be a couple of years that he tweeted that and, yeah. uh, and it stuck with me. It really did. I can tell you this, like it, they really try hard to make, to have good tooling, to have, to improve tooling all the time. And one of the great thing, and like, this is everybody that has switched to Rust from JavaScript or from something else and whatever, everybody that I've talked to on our team or teams or whatever, everybody has said, all right, it's that first step, that learning curve is high when, you know, when compilers start just complaining all the time and you're like, well, why again? Why is it to complain again? But Rust, more than any other language that I've seen, more than any other language by far, any other language that I've seen, once you have convinced compiler that your code is correct, one, the compiler is like, yeah, fine. I'll compile this for you. You're really pretty damn certain that it works in, as intended. I'm not saying that there are no bugs. Obviously the algorithmic bug remains like the algorithmic bug in the sense of, of you, you just wrote programming correct. But if you, but those other bugs of, of typos of, okay, I didn't mean to write in two places in the same, in the same thing in, or whatever it is that, that companies sort of like incidental bugs, let's call them like that. Right. Those really go away. And this has been like universal. There's no one that has said, oh no, now I'm making more bugs than before. No one, literally. I can, that, that I can tell you. So we're almost at the halfway point. I have one and we'll switch to the JavaScript conferences for the second half of the session. But the last question I just want to ask is just the one all these people ask about is for any languages, how's the performance? I, I know the answer, but I'll just throw that out there because I'm sure some people are thinking about it. How is Rust's performance? So there, are, I would say that there are two performances, right? One is... What is the developer's performance? And I would say that it's that developer performance is one, again, once you're over the hump and again, it's not hard to get over the hump, but it is a hump. But once you're over there, I feel like that the developer performance, that the velocity it gives you is really great. I, I, I how about that? I meant that I know I, you want a runtime performance. Yeah. It gets close to the, any compiled C plus handcrafted, et cetera. It's. It, Will there be places where it's faster than, than that? Yes. Will there be places where it's slower? Yes. But it's for all intents and purposes, especially for anybody coming from JavaScript, it's going to be fast. It's, okay. it's just like, there's no comparison of 
no matter there's no comparison of an interpret that no many no matter how jitted it is to something that's compiled and can reason where compiler can reason around the types at leisure rather than very late in the game of like jitting something and and once you consider like any jitter code like it has to have like exceptions okay I compiled something I can now uh, I can now think that this is always going to be a number or a string or this or that. But actually, because it, they cannot be true, no one can be true, no one can, uh, they cannot be certain of this. There always needs to be checks of what is actually inside of everything. This goes away through the compiled language. Yeah. You have a statical type. It's yep. just like, do it in advance. Compiler had sufficient time, a lot of time to compile it into the most optimal code that you wanted. And so if for comparatively speaking, like JavaScript to, to Rust, it's like Rust is always going to win. I, I feel like that's a... But no one ever said, no one ever wrote programs in, in JavaScript because of the performance as well. It's, it's, more about, it's more about human performance rather than compute performance. It's, so I would say that on both of these fronts, like I feel like Rust is... Again, it's obviously you have to think differently around some things, but I feel like it's a it's close enough to JavaScript, and I feel like you. That's why you see also in community people naturally tending to it as well. If you try it, and you're like, this is not that hard. It's or, or, always everybody said that it was hard, but it's not that hard. And I feel like Rust has enabled that for the JavaScript community. That's great. Thank you. Thank you a lot for giving us the lowdown on it. Scott, do you want to just give us our usual station break and then we can switch topics to JavaScript conferences? Sure. Hey, thank you all so much for joining us so much today so far. It's been awesome. Thank you, Yvonne, for joining us and hopping up here on the stage and chit-chatting about Rust and all of its pros and cons. So really cool to hear that perspective. For those of you who are just joining us for the first time, or if you're listening to this on the recording, thank you so much. We appreciate it. And uh, by the way, if you are new to this or you've been doing this for a long time, developing that is, it doesn't matter. We want to hear from everybody. So feel free to request to come up, ask a question, or even just make a statement, your opinion, whatever it might be. We'd love to hear from you. In fact, that's like where some of our best conversations have come from is just from the audience participating as well. Feel free to do that at any point in time. Yeah. So don't forget, this is done every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific time. And if you haven't checked out our newsletter yet, which we've been doing three, four weeks in a row now, three weeks in a row, I have linked it up there at the top. You can check that out there to discover what we're talking about today. And for any future newsletters, if you want to Get that in your inbox and not miss out on everything JavaScript and web dev related. Then you would need to go to composability.dev and sign up there. Not just that, you will also get access to our summit that we had in the, in June or July. It's going to be awesome. If you have access to that, you get a ton of value. So, and that's what we're shooting for creating value and thought leadership and helping everyone in there together. I think Ishan has lost connection here. Hopefully he'll join us back here very shortly. Let's see. <clears throat> Hold on. There he is. <laughs> awesome. Invite co-host. All right. And as we're waiting for Ishan to up here just wanted to see if anybody had anything else they'd like to speak of and or have a question about there we go he's up awesome <laughs>
All right. You weren't gone too long. I was just finishing up. So that's great. All right. Thank you all so much. And on to the next half of what we have to offer here. Hey, you shot, are you there? Yeah, can you guys hear me now? We can, yes. Yeah, it sounds like I'm having connectivity issues. So <laughs> we'll knock on, I'm looking for wood here. But but yeah, thankfully, thanks for covering. But if I drop out or I have connection issues or I start breaking up, let me know. One thing I was realizing when I came back on again is why the the usability on speaker races issue screen to request. Exact wrong space on the screen to tell you that it's been accepted. You need to respond to it. You're gonna have to hit it's back again at the bottom. So you were yeah. Yeah. You were a little bit choppy there, but I think what you were trying to say was is that the notification is in the wrong spot. It's the user, the UX of the what they've designed is it could be better. <laughs> Especially when you're requesting to come up or being invited to come up. Oh. Man, we lost Ishan again. Hold on. <laughs> Let's see if he comes back. <laughs> All right, I sent him another invite there. Okay. Maybe it automatically kicked him into the audience um, just because his connection was so bad. All right. Yep. He's out. <laughs> okay. Uh, Fun. Anthony, why don't you tell me why were you in Vancouver? What's up with that? Yeah, it was for a lot of hacker house. So Solana is a blockchain and they were building projects for a week. I actually had to go before the final day where they actually showed the projects. So I didn't get to see any of them, but got to just hang out and meet a bunch of people and get plugged into that ecosystem. That sounds like a fun time. Yeah, it's cool. Awesome. Glad to back. Glad to have you back here in the States. Yeah. Not for very long. No. <laughs> I'll, still be, I'll still be in the States, but I'll be not in St. Louis very soon. I'll be spending a lot of time in the San Francisco area, most likely. We're going to talk about conferences, and I think, and we'll probably be at Jamstack.com. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, we're all looking forward to those conferences. It is like that time of year, right? There's just conferences everywhere right now. So, <laughs> yeah, Ishan, I did send you the co-host invite. I don't know. If you got it out. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Oh. guys, sorry. Hey, I'm on Wi-Fi. I make sure that I'm on the, the, my better headset for this. 
make sure I've got good connectivity. It sounds like maybe I should just reset my phone so this doesn't happen. Yeah, it sounds like you guys already started talking about conferences and Anthony was talking about the Jamstack conference he'll be attending. And so that was the other topic that we had in the newsletter this week. What are the conferences people are looking forward to? Anthony, what's on your agenda besides Jamstack conference? This, this fall? That's the only one right now. Okay. There's going to be a Redwood Summit, but that's uh, not really a conference. It's like a, a team getting together to just hack on stuff. So that'll be the other kind of big trip I'll be taking. Where is the Redwood Summit going to be held? Is it online or is it, it in person? It'll be in the Bay Area. Yeah. It's not like so we're advertising or anything like that. It's just like a chance for the core team to get together. Okay. And there's Next.js conference which is coming yeah. up. Those are, I would think the two- Oh, and a yeah, beat comp. Oh, I actually created a list. I just ping, pinned it in the, in the space here. If you look at my tweet, there's a whole list of events that are before the end of the year. I didn't know if any of those seemed interesting or what people were going to be looking at, but. Yeah, that's actually a great list. There's Next.js is on that one. There's a GraphQL conference, which we've been part of in the past as well. There's also the Evans Data Developer Marketing Conference. Anthony, I don't know if you're familiar with Evans Data at all, or you've attended any of their events in the past. I'd be curious. Not, no. Tell me about it. So they're a organization focused on developer marketing. They've been around for a really long time. And Probably when you think back to pre-JavaScript ecosystem developer marketing, so more kind of classic developer marketing, and they've often had people from lots of big classic tech companies talk, and they have these this conference once a year on developer marketing in the Bay Area. When is that one? That is, let's click through. Uh, I think that's in October. I'm clicking through to find out when it is. And it has the list of speakers. Yeah, folks. From... Like the 25th and 26th. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Okay. Yeah, so they've been doing this for years now. Always meant to go, but never managed to make it out there. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but they're another interesting conference. Yeah, the I mentioned VComp is another one. I think that's going to be a, a virtual comp, but I'll be curious to see that one because that's a stack blip, I think is the one behind that and it's just going to bring together like a ton of different frameworks. So it's called Vite conference, like for the Vite, you know, the web tooling conference. Oh, brought to you by StackBlitz. Yeah, they hired one of the lead maintainers attack. And so it's been like, they've been shepherding it, which is pretty cool. I think because it, they were integrating like all of these starters into stack lists that use beam. So it made sense that the two are very intertwined with each other now. Oh, very interesting. I, I didn't realize that. And it looks like Evan, you, the creator of Vite is going to be there. And just to shout out the, one of the first, I think it was the first JavaScript jam episode way back when on the podcast, if you go to javascriptjam.com was Evan, you doing it an early demo of, of, so that's really interesting. And I see that he's one of the speakers is that's an online conference. You said, yeah, I think so. They've got a great lineup. I don't know how I've missed this one. That's really cool. Let's see. October 11th to 12th. That's definitely something we should be checking out. Okay. What else is on people's lists? I know that there's the uh, PWA Summit is coming up. That's another online conference. And I had actually on an episode of JavaScript Jam, the podcast, again, if you go to the website, 
the creators of the term PWA, Progressive Web App, and they were on, oh, let's see if I can find the episode number. Let's see. If you go to our homepage, it should be right on there. Let's see. There it is. Yeah. It's Alex Russell and his wife, Francis Berryman, who coined the term Progressive Web App, were on episode 12. And one of the things I asked them was about the results from the PWA summit of the previous year. And they showed some very impressive stats. It's tempting to think PWAs aren't hyped about or buzzed about. But when you look at the things that make up a PWA in terms of the usage of service workers and the usage of all the kind of PWA-like features, it's actually higher on an individual feature basis than you'd look at. It's just in some sense, PWA is blended into the woodwork and you may not realize it. Definitely confidence worth checking out, even if you think PWAs are no longer a thing, they're still actually pushing the web forward. And it may just be, we're in a, I don't know, call it a PWA winter, but all the the things that are ingredients in a PWA keep continuing to progress. And I think what's going to end up happening one day is maybe we'll all come back and realize, oh, this is the same thing as PWAs a few years ago. It's just under a new name. And now we've got more penetration for these technologies. Foremost among them is push notifications now being available on both iOS and Android is, I think it'd be huge for that whole ecosystem. So that's going to be really valuable. But I'm curious again from the audience, what are some of the other conferences people are looking at that maybe aren't on our radar? Feel free to raise your hand. Anthony, were there any others that came up? The Veed conference is a good one. Yeah, that's the only one that uh, I can think of. I'm not really super plugged into the whole conference scene. Like I came up during the pandemic era. So yeah, I was never one who was like traveling much. And now that I'm working for, like a Web3 company, I travel like a different set of events and conferences than these, but I find that other good conversation starters that they usually something will be some talk and then people will be like, oh, what was this to talk about? And why are they talk about this and all the other things? And so I enjoy them for that. I'd usually just catch up after the fact. Got it. Is there a conference that happened recently that you've been meaning to catch up on? I have one myself. I missed the Cascadia JS conference and that's one I've been meaning to catch up on. Is there anything else that comes to mind as a developer conference that's still on your list or you thought was really good this year? That's a good example because that's one where people are talking about enhanced after yep. the, I think like React India just happened. I think that was a big one or that's a, about to happen. That's starting like right now. So that's usually a pretty big one. Oh, that wasn't on my radar either. That'll be, uh, I'm adding that to, to my list here. That's a good one. Do you have a sense of which, what would you say was the best conference this year? If you were to pick one. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I went to Remix Conf. That one was fun. But aside from that, like I said, I'm not really super plugged into conferences. Okay. I'll, I'll say Scott and I were at Remix Conference. I thought that was very interesting and really well done. I know Scott, you were at Render ATL which was really good. I did not attend in person, but I watched all of Reactathon. I thought that also had a lot of good talks and it was really good. I think one of the ones you've highlighted, Scott, in that list, React also looks potentially interesting. A lot of times there's, it's hard to get a conference that's going deeper. And so that that's what I'm curious and interested in looking more into. And then there's a conference happening this fall, performance.now. As regular listeners know, I come from a web performance background. There used to be a conference in the U.S. called Perf Matters that was held every year. And they, once the pandemic happened, they held a virtual version and they did an amazing job pivoting in one month because it was in March. It was basically when everything's all of a sudden shut down. So they pivoted 
immediately to a virtual format. And I hope it didn't burn out the organizer, but I know they did a lot of work to make it work. It was a great conference, but it hasn't come back yet. <clears throat> but the European version of that conference called Perf Now is going on. I think it happened last year and it's going to happen this year as well in Amsterdam in October. So that's one that I'll definitely be checking out, although I won't be able to go to Amsterdam to see it myself and definitely recommend folks check it out. Another conference that's coming up is JS World. That is a conference I've actually participated in the past and they have a USA version happening in November. That's another one that I'm interested in following. And another one I've spoken at in the past, but I won't be this year, will be React New York. In fact, I think we might've actually already missed React New York. React Day New York is actually the title. Yeah, I think that's, happened. That, that's the one that just happened. Yeah. So that's another one I'd recommend folks check out. A lot of good content in that one. And then again, if there's anybody in the audience, feel free to raise your hand. The one that we all seem to know is the Jamstack conference and the next conference. Anthony, is there anything or anybody else in the audience you want to make predictions on what you expect us to see at either conference this year? I'm hoping to see stuff about the Jamstack Innovation Fund. I think that was a pretty interesting thing to happen this year for... Netlify funded a handful of different projects and create like a cohort. And so I'm not sure if they'll highlight that at all at the conference, but that would be interesting. Okay. Anything from a feature or technology standpoint you're anticipating or looking forward to? I know in past, for example, there was the rollout of edge functions and edge handlers at prior, prior, con prior years of those conferences. Do you have a sense of what you'd expect for this year? Or what you're looking forward to or you want to hear about? Um, it's like yeah. deeper integrations with the current frameworks. Then uh, they have frameworks team now that's in charge of making sure that there's feature parity across like the different frameworks. So be curious to see if there's, and they've been touting like they have really good Next.js support supposedly now and they've built in features just for that. So I think that kind of like, building in specific things for the frameworks is probably what I would predict to see more of. Okay. That makes sense. I'll tell you what my expectation would be the likely and likely prediction is more. A lot of this stuff was new last year. And so I think we're going to see more case studies to create more social proof for these new technologies. And then more ecosystem integrations. It's a, when you create roll out a new feature, like phase one is the rollout. Phase two, it's the early adopters and the late majority aren't going to adopt until somebody else blazes the trail. It's the CTO of a company on a previous episode of JavaScript Jam say, I'm not going to adopt a technology till I know four or five companies that have battle tested it. I don't want to be the one running beta software. And a lot of this stuff was new. So they're waiting to see how others do. And that's my logic. Next logical progression prediction is there is to populate that kind of material rather than any new features. That would be my expectation. The other thing I'm really curious about is just to see just any new developments with what's happening with Svelte now that they're under that umbrella as well. So those were, those are mine, so to speak. Okay. It looks, we are close to the top of the hour. I have actually a very hard stop at the top of the hour, unless there's anybody else who wants to jump in. Scott, I'll let you take us out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. So it is conference time of the year. Obviously we just listed off so many different ones. 
And a lot of them are happening around the same dates and some of them on the same date. So yeah, you can check out the list that I made and the couple that we mentioned that were not on the list as well. Maybe there's something that piques your interest and maybe you want to go to it. Anyway, lots of great conversation today. Thank you to everyone who was up here speaking and those who came up. And so you can, can join us next week on Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. And we will be doing more awesome conversations where, about JavaScript and web development. Thank you so much. And don't forget, if you haven't checked out or subscribed to our newsletter, you don't want to miss out on all the wonderful things going on in this area. So go to composability.dev, register, sign up, and you can get our awesome newsletter every week. All right, y'all. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time on JavaScript Jam Live. Peace. Later.